0: Welcome to the Immigration Hour. Uh, this is your co-host, not junior host, co-host, uh, Rocky Rockliffe. Uh, Chuck is out speaking today, as he uh, very often is. And uh just want to welcome you to the most listened to and most downloaded uh, immigration show in the world. And until we're uh, presented with uh, facts and figures that will uh, – dispute our claim to fame we'll continue to uh to tout that david how you doing today i'm doing fine how are you doing i'm doing all right a little bit uh a little bit under the weather today i had a long uh long weekend in san antonio and decided to drive it all the way back on sunday and when you get cooped up in the car for a long time like that sometimes you get a little sick
1: you know they have these things that take off and land and and, uh, they're much faster than the car uh, sometimes Uh, why would you have not taken a plane? Well, because I had a – San Antonio uh, is a long way. It
0: is a long way, a lot longer than I thought it would be. But so you know, I had
1: to probably what, close to a thousand. Yeah, it's a little miles. over a thousand miles. Yeah, yeah. it
0: took uh, seventeen hours. I went there for uh, the wedding of a buddy, uh, one of my military buddies, and stopped halfway to pick another buddy up. So had a little bit of help on the drive, but still being in the car is. Uh, it's nuts and and part of it was you know road trip with uh with the guys you never want to pass that up i mean those are uh, the, those are awesome so uh yeah just uh if uh you can tell I have a little bit of a, i don't know if it's a cold or if it's some kind of bug or something like that but when you're cooped up in the car for so long constantly recirculating that air you get uh you get a little bit under the weather so uh anyways let's get on to the uh the topic at hand here the immigration stuff um news flash Nothing, nothing really new. Um, oh wait, David, I haven't seen you since uh, si- since uh, since last week with State of the Union and uh, Chuck and I's uh, little over under on when Obama would mention immigration uh, during his State of the Union. You know, well, you go there. I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> well, I won that bet. He he did mention it within uh, the first thirty five minutes, barely, barely. Um, and and he really wasn't anything earth-shattering. It was just kind of a uh, bland mention. And I think that that is uh, by design because uh, it's actually one of the things that Congress might be able to agree on. So the president doesn't want to put a lot of pressure on it and and tout it. Instead, he wants to tout, hey, if you guys don't do something, I'm going to uh, just
1: use this pen here and do what I want. (laughs) So immigration is not one of those things. As long as we're talking – Quotes from the administration, and I, And although she is not part of the administration now, did you happen to see uh, what Sotomayor said recently? Sonia. No. <laughs> you know what? Why don't you look it up? It, I, I, I it, mean, you're going to – it's going to blow your mind. Oh, my goodness.
0: Uh, uh, it, I
1: don't think – Nothing these cats say can blow my mind. It. It Nothing. nothing. I don't think a Supreme Court justice uh. – you know, there was a time that I put them – on a level of almost no one else, uh, on a level that was almost beyond the presidency, that they they really had the. Uh, I don't know. I, I always had a, the, a super amount of respect for the Supreme Court in that they were the ones that took the Constitution and and uh, oh. you know, but that's gone now. So what did did you find it? Oh well, oh, let's see, February
0: third, come. Authored are, – are you like a verbal statement
1: or something she just put out in an opinion? No, verbal uh, – that uh, the illegals were taking jobs and Oh, that, my gosh. Uh, they were stealing social security numbers. S- oh. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got to find the I, – I have to come on this. so I need to see the actual text. Uh, Sotomayor. I mean this, I, this is not what a Supreme Court justice on. says. And, Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't she Hispanic? Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, oh. I believe. And I, I, can this, I, can, I can say this. I can. I can
0: this with. Uh, this isn't a racist comment or anything. And I lived in Puerto Rico for three years. Puerto Ricans are a, a breed apart. <laughs> All I'm going to say for for many good reasons and and some negative reasons. I mean, it just yeah. they. You can they, probably ask different.
1: a few uh, people
0: in New York about it too. Oh um, my! I got to see the statement though, because that we got to
1: unpack that because. Wow! Did you say it? Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, man, if I, not, I'll, I'll go uh, print it out. Yeah,
0: I, I, I would love to address that. Um, I, I mean, this is a. It's it, well, David. Let me let me let me backtrack on that. If you're just coming to that realization, uh, it, I mean, that is, it's good because Supreme Court justices are unelected policy advocates. I mean that's really what they but are. That's not no, what no, 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 no. We're meant that's, to be. That's not what they're meant to be. I'm not in any way making a normative statement about about what they are, but the reality of the situation is is that they are unelected policy advocates and because the Supreme Court nomination process now is so contentious, you have people like Elena Kagan who, by design, never really attached her name to anything, so that there's really nothing to oppose her on, which is scarier because She had design – I mean people who backed her whatever had designs on her being a Supreme Court justice for a long time so that she can advocate these ridiculously radical policies. And honestly, I thought the same as you until I actually went to law school and had a professor who – a constitutional law professor. Shout out to Eric Siegel. Um, While we may – I disagree with him. It does a matter of policy on a great many things. He was dead on, and I didn't really realize it in his uh, contention that the uh, the Supreme Court, the nine, the members of the Supreme Court are, an unele- are unelected policy advocates. And when he first, you know, kind of touted that in class, and that's my, his term that I've just kind of co opted. When he first, you know, spouted that in class, I was like, yeah, really? That's kind of a cynical way to look at it. And then you actually get into case law and realize that they're just really good at making. Crafty verbal and written arguments to uh, to shape policy the way they want, and to give the veneer the the uh, the veneer of um, impartiality that they're just that they are jurists and trying to follow the law. No, you're not. You're just trying to bolster whatever the policy. Whatever. Do you think this has always been the way? I think it's always been that way because go. Uh, Well, let me see. Then you're not always stepping on it. (laughs) No, you know what? Initially, I think that the Supreme Court probably, you know, at the nation's found, you know, the founding of the Republic, I think that there were some, uh, that the Supreme Court is well intentioned. Obviously, it's in the Constitution. And that there were some chief justices initially. Uh, You know, you're never going to get rid of people's personal policy references or preferences. But um, I I think that initially it was. it wasn't so so contentious, and so there was uh, you know a lot more, uh, I guess, agreement or uh, you no, know, just impartiality. But over time, if you look at uh, the way the Supreme Court ha- has evolved uh, and their opinions, I mean, it, it's very uh, very active in, in in legislating. I mean, it's any any contentious issue that we have uh, you know today in our country ultimately ends up before the Supreme Court, and it's really not a legal. Decision they're making as to whether something violates the Constitution, uh, although that's what they say it is. It's really more of a policy, uh, a policy body, and and you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, is is debatable. I mean, would you rather have nine people, nine unelected people making policy, or um, five hundred and thirty-five <laughs> that are up for the highest bidder making making policy through law? I mean, it's it's really not um, it's really not uh, uh, that much of a difference i think but i think over over you know since since our founding it's gotten progressively (laughs) no pun intended progressively worse uh uh the supreme court in terms of its uh uh, you know legislation from the bench. You know that's that's really all I have to uh, say about that. But I kind of I really want to move on to uh, some immigration stuff today. David's actually trying to find uh, the the exact text from uh, of uh, Sonia Sotomayor's State Justice Sotomayor, as I was, her statements uh, about um, immigrants, and I really really want to read those and kind of unpack those statements because they're kind of. Uh, are kind of bombastic I don't know if I'm using that word properly but you know it sounds good um but today I you know I came in today uh, with a topic uh, I really want to talk about the detention bed mandate um, for those of you that you know that uh, don't really may not know a lot about immigration law or whatever I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast but uh, or the the show that's later podcasted uh, basically Congress has declared that an enforcement agency of the federal government immigration and customs enforcement has to maintain a certain number of people in detention at all times all right now that doesn't may not sound that bad but let's just unpack that a little bit first off immigration violations of federal immigration law are civil in nature okay they're not criminal Right, the consequences may mirror those of, uh, of uh, criminal violations, but it's a civil violation of federal law to uh, to, to, to violate the Immigration and Nationality Act. It's similar to uh, civil violations of the law um, violation, uh, you know, not complying with some sort of financial judgment against you. Uh, it, it, they're 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 not criminal. We we don't put people. In prison for civil violations, they're usually uh, disposed of with fines. Uh, well, perfect example: um, a, new, uh, a number of uh, securities and exchange commission, you know, f- f- um, stock trading, bond trading, things like that. Those, when you violate those laws, and there's no criminal violation, obviously, you can criminally violate those. You know, hey, Bernie Madoff. Uh, there's civil violations, and so fines can be imposed, and and often hefty fines. But it's it's we don't put people in jail for civil violations. So. So I, I just want to make that distinction uh, about immigration violations, what ICE, what immigration and customs enforcement is enforcing. While they do have some jurisdiction over criminal things, the vast majority of what they do is they're enforcing civil violations. Uh, uh, they're they're prosecute, uh, enforcing and prosecuting uh, civil, uh, civil law. Okay? So when ICE is detaining violators of the immigration law, they're detaining people Putting them in jail for a period of time, whatever that time may be, for a civil violation of the law. So that would be like Congress or your local government saying, hey, police, we want you to arrest and detain this certain number of people and make sure you have this number of people in detention at any given time for civil violations of the law. Let's let's break it down even further. In your neighborhood, um, you have – ordinances with respect to cutting down of trees uh, uh some of those are governed by homeowner associations um but there's civil ordinances within your neighborhood let's look at let's take a a uh a, a neighborhood a city where there's some sort of mailbox code or, or something 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 civil like that uh, that people can kind of understand and your city government said hey police force we need you to maintain 10 people in detention at all times uh for viol- certain violations of the mailbox code or whatever you know uh, civil code the, the city has, most people would be, you know, like w- what are you doing? And 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 it's and it's given to the police, the enforcement agency as a uh, as kind of a mandate. Hey, if you want to keep getting your funding, which. That's what they all care about more than anything, more than public safety, more than enforcing the law. Anything they care about their budget, okay? Because that's their ultimately their jobs. Most people would would say that's uh, it's pretty jacked up. Why are you Why are you doing that? Why are you saying, hey, assuming that there's violators of this uh, this law and that you know how many there are and how many should be detained at any given time? And furthermore, why are you detaining violators of of civil ordinances you know just like with immigration why are you detaining detaining people whose only violation of the law is civil now there are people in immigration detention who have who have criminal violations but they're usually transferred there straight from state custody and they and we're not really talking about those people. we're talking about the people who uh, come into ICE custody for a for a traffic violation which ICE characterizes as criminal on the same level as somebody who's just released from uh, state custody in a prison for having committed armed robbery or something. ICE categorizes all those people as criminals. When the 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 purpose of any deten- system of detention is to ostensibly protect society uh, uh, for uh, from people who may may do society harm. There's not too many people in immigration detention for civil violations of immigration law who are security risks. So ICE takes the, the – adds kind of a second prong to it. Well, we got it. we need to detain them because they're a flight risk. These people are in deportation proceedings right now and they won't show up to uh, their immigration hearings unless we uh, – unless we keep them detained. Um so, so ICE you know, has that, that second prong there, which is, which is just absurd and results in a ridiculous number of people being detained every day. Um, let's take a quick break here really fast and come back and uh, continue talking about this detention bed mandate.
2: Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos a 404 816 A los 404-816-8616 al www.immigration.net.
3: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
2: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
3: This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back to the Immigration Hours. your co-host, Rocky Rockliffe. Uh, earlier we were talking about the detention bed mandate and we'll continue on with that. Uh, but we've since been able to clarify uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor's statements and they weren't uh, necessarily in the proper context. We're not going to talk about them because she was apparently saying that if you characterize immig- illegal immigrants as criminals, it's insulting. So our apologies to Sony Sotomayor on that statement alone because I – think we can probably find a myriad of things that we disagree with her on. So we'll we'll let that one be for a little bit. But David, I was talking a little bit about – we we were talking a little bit about this detention bed mandate and how what it's akin to is your local government saying to its police force, uh, hey, we need you to detain 50 people. Make sure you have 50 people in detention every day for violations of our city's mailbox code. That that's what it's akin to. It's, you have people who have violated federal immigration law, which is a civil violation, being detained by federal law enforcement for for that violation, and that, we don't have anybody up in arms. And do you know what the number is there that that uh, Congress has mandated that ICE maintain in detention at any given time? I have
1: no idea. Thirty four thousand people. Let me let me let let's peel back <laughs> a layer of the onion though. Let's peel it back. Uh, what would what would encourage a statement like that that you are to detain? Well, very good question. Why would why would Congress
0: mandate a a, a uh, an enforcement agency? And essentially, the, the way this mandate works is it's a, it's not statutory; it's in an appropriations bill. We're saying, hey, we're giving you this money. And it's contingent on you doing a certain thing. So that that's that that's what it is. It's all about money, David. You have you have private entities,
1: Bingo. which
0: run prisons, uh, detention operations on behalf of uh, the federal government because of their argument that it's cheaper to have the private sector uh, uh, do it. Which I'm normally in favor of the private sector doing anything over government, but you're still. When private prisons operate under the auspices of "oh, we're a private company," and we, uh, you're you're private in name only. You're still a, you're still a, you still have a government contract. You're not doing so, Let's put it this way: you're not doing something that the free market would do absent the state. Okay, and that's that's the thing. So they're basically just stepping in and allowing the state to kind of uh, absolve itself of all the nasty consequences that this kind of detention brings. And so you have these. You know, big companies. and I'm not going to mention these companies by name. We've talked about them before on the show. They they give tons and tons of money to these uh, to to congressional delegations, senators, representatives, and they 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 carefully say we don't try to influence policy or crap. We logic. need our jails filled simply, up. <laughs> we simply say, hey, we have a solution to your detention problem, and. It's the privatization of the prisons, and so they fall back on this free market rhetoric nonsense, and they they give to all these political candidates who then, uh, who I have a story we'll talk about a little bit where it just kind of shows just the, the back and forth with this with this stuff, and it, it, they're just they're they're running a business that is predicated on destroying people's lives. I mean the, the problem with detention is we have it too much. So, if you have a detention problem, we're spending too much money on detention. Wouldn't you think the first the first thing you would think of is, well, why don't we find a way to lower the number of people we're detaining instead of, hey, how can we pay for this a different way?
1: How much? How much is it per? I've read some, and then one hundred and fourteen or one hundred dollars a is, day, or something. I actually
0: have uh, some some good numbers here for you. Uh, one. Well, it costs two billion dollars annually for ICE to uh, for the taxpayers to detain uh, all these uh, all these people uh, at a cost of I had it here in my notes. It's it's a little over hundred dollars a day, I mean, and it varies between detention facility. I think I've seen numbers anywhere from like eighty dollars to one hundred and forty because detention the cost of detention have to do with where you're detaining them, energy stuff. So let's just call it hundred bucks a day. I mean, that's $100 a day to detain somebody who you could put an ankle monitor on for significantly less. And um, you have all these people out there saying, oh, well, those aren't as effective as detention. Well, I mean, obviously nothing's going to be as effective as detention getting people to show up. They're given
1: three squares. Is that right? (laughs) Given three squares.
0: Uh, Theoretically. Theoretically.
1: Okay. So you could put them up in a Motel 6 with an ankle bracelet on and give them – Three meals a day for less than $100. Tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many other cost effective alternatives
0: to detention. Why
1: does that smell like somebody's under the table uh, putting money in your pocket? <sighs> these cats are just, they're based, I mean, they're just pay I mean, all the, just, t-
0: just the once over the world with this stuff, these detention centers, they're located in backwaters. Which says, "Oh, somebody got a sweetheart deal for their congressional district because they're the biggest employer in the area." Um, you, you've got their biggest advocates are people that happen to be on subcommittees or committees that handle ICE's budget. <laughs> or I mean, it's just it, the, uh, the while there's no let me let me let me say this while there is no legal corruption that I can point to because these people are very good at manipulating the law and. and hmm. And whatnot, so that there's no criminal violation of the uh, of the law, and what they do in terms of lobbying and stuff. I 100% believe there are moral violations in terms of because they're they're basically running a business and, and getting money for a business that is predicated on depriving people of their liberty for things that are that they shouldn't be deprived of their liberty for. And listen, I'll be the first I'll be the first one to tell you that. There are certain people obviously people certain people need to be detained by ICE, okay? Somebody who is here doing a 20 say they committed armed robbery and just finished up 20 years in a California prison. And and removal proceedings are instituted against that person, okay? ICE probably should detain that person on their way out. OK, I mean that, there's absolutely a need, a, a need for that if you believe in a need for ICE, which is, that's a whole – I could go on that topic a whole another day. But there's obviously certain people that need to be detained. And part of the problem with this whole detention argument and stuff is that the, uh, the other side just puts out a bunch of nonsense about how detention works and how it's so effective um so and i was like i was like to present their argument to show what it is how that how they're wrong and how they're skewing uh statistics okay well just using you know your lies your damn lies and your statistics to uh to prove their point but the the following is from uh the center for immigration studies their motto david is low immigration pro-immigrant well why would you be advocating for low or high immigration i mean what I mean, shouldn't the market, shouldn't economics determine how much immigration we should have? So your little pro-immigrant blurb on the end there is kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, insincere. But they basically say that uh, in in the title of this uh, this post is enforcement metrics support case for detention bed mandate. So they're saying these enforcement metrics, which really. It's kind of like apples to oranges here. You're not comparing the same thing. Say it supports a detention bed mandate. It's 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 absurd. So what's what's the first thing they share? Uh, they say that the they talk about ICE's caseload and the percentage that is in detention at any given time. That less than two percent of the uh, of the cases that ICE handles. Are, are in detention at any given time. And they, they have the numbers here, 30,000 out of 1.8 million active cases, 30,000, r- roughly 30,000 of 1.8 million active cases were detained. How does this have anything to do, what is that bolster? That just says, hey, ICE has certain enforcement, uh, is is uh, has this many open cases, this many are in detention at any given time, this many are not. That has nothing to do with detention tension bed band mandate being a good idea or not—it's it, it's, it's apples to oranges. You're not comparing—you're uh, not comparing things of uh, like denominator, I guess. So. But the reason why they put that out there is because they want to they they want to get the the emotional appeal of that argument is, oh, only two percent of the active cases are detained, so it's you know the detention part of the of what they do is really not that big a deal Well, guess what there's still thirty thousand people who are being deprived of their liberty, and as I said before, some of those people probably should be deprived of their liberty, okay, but the vast majority of them should not be okay next thing they talk about okay uh, and this I love it when Statistics that uh, are just arbitrary like this that aren't sourced—they're just so suspect. So this statistic actually is not sourced in their in their uh, in their post. That and I'm, I'm going to read it exactly, so I, I don't get it wrong. More than eighty percent, talking about the uh, the uh, ICE detainees. More than eighty percent are quote mandatory detainees. Meaning that their offenses are so serious that ICE is prohibited by law from releasing them. All right. First off, 80 percent, where are you getting that from? Number two, mandatory detainees. Let's talk about that. There is something in the the Immigration Nationality Act called mandatory detention. It's where somebody has committed some sort of criminal violation that renders them subject to – Mandatory detention. ICE has no discretion. The immigration judge has no discretion in whether or not they can be released from custody. They're subject to mandatory detention. They have to be there. Things like aggravated felonies uh, are will subject somebody to mandatory detention. Now, you might be thinking, oh, if they've committed an aggravated felony, then pff, <laughs> you know <laughs> they should be detained. Well, you know, let's you know let's uh, let's unpack that a little bit. What's an aggravated felony? There's all kinds of ways to commit some sort of criminal violation that's relatively minor, where it can be categorized as an aggravated felony for immigration purposes. Okay, uh, say you um, a perfect example. I had a client who uh, was uh, he's a lawful permanent resident, had a green card, and uh, he was let's say he he was he he definitely had some developmental disabilities and when he was pulled over he didn't he had a driver's license he didn't have it with him and he's of uh he's a second generation uh lawful permanent resident uh he's from mexico his education level's very low and he's got some developmental disabilities so even though he's a green card holder he's still because of the enforcement climate in his country he's still a little scared of uh of you know the authorities <laughs> As I would be, okay. So when he gets pulled over, he doesn't have his license with him, even though he is licensed. He uh, gives his brother's name, uh, a different date of birth. Okay, God, I know all the I know all the status crowd out there say, "Well, you can't lie to law enforcement." Come on, people, seriously. Uh, so, anyways, he gets hit with all kind of forgery charges because he signed a document saying it was somebody else. All all this nonsense. Well. The way that – and he didn't do any jail time, no jail time, no security risk to the community. Well, the state of Georgia obviously didn't feel as though he was a risk to the community because they decided they didn't put him in jail. But the, the way his plea agreement was structured, he was considered an aggravated felon subject to mandatory detention. So you kind of see how it, they're really not the hardened criminals that these people would have you believe. and. Uh, and and their uh, the statement that their offenses are so serious that ICE is prohibited by law from releasing them that these are murderers and rapists and we have to detain them, I mean that's just garbage. And you know back to the eighty percent thing, where the hell are you getting that metric? I mean that's it's out of control. Um, all right, I think we need to take another quick break here, and we'll come back and uh, we'll dive into a little bit more from this uh, post from the Center for Immigration Studies.
2: Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados del Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado, con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de Conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Hoy o al
0: With all the back and forth in today's politics. It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com.
3: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners
2: is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at
3: www.immigration.net. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back to the Immigration Hour. It's your co-host, Rocky Rockcliffe. Uh, we finished up the last segment talking a little bit about mandatory detention and how the Folks who are subject to mandatory detention are not necessarily the uh, the murderers and the rapists and and the robbers and the burglars that uh, I don't necessarily think ICE is really saying that they are, but these these anti-immigrant crowds that call themselves pro-immigrant uh, would have you believe they're just it, it's just not. I mean I, you know, while my evidence of of that is I don't have anything necessarily to refute the immigra- Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, contention that 80 percent of people in ICE detention are mandatory detainees. But from my practice, uh, this is anecdotal, uh, you know, we are one of the larger firms here in Atlanta that handle uh, removal defense. From what I see, it's not even close to 80 the, percent. The vast majority of people I see that have relatives detained are detained for some violation of the law that has to do with driving a car. And subsequently end up in immigration custody simply because they don't have permission to be in the United States. And and once you're kinda I mean, and the sad part about it is, you know, and I have to tell a lot of people is once you're once you're in that uh in immigration custody, in an immigration detention center, uh the chances are very low that you're gonna get out simply because the system is so stacked against you. Uh and and you're and you're competing <laughs> against a an agency that that has a mandate to detain a certain number of people and and you have to kid yourself you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't think that uh decisions about whether or not to release somebody who they have discretion to release uh will affect their uh their ability to enforce this mandate and keep a certain number of people uh people detained uh every day. I mean it's it's uh it's it's crazy. Um, uh,
1: Rocky go through the status. You're only ever brought before a judge, right? Never a jury. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know what? Let's, we'll move off
0: what uh, – I do want to talk about that. We'll move off this Center for Immigration Studies stuff and talk about kind of the process of no no jury in this. You go before a judge and that judge is not a constitutionally – well – is not specifically authorized by the Constitution. Obviously, it's it's constitutional in terms of Congress has created you know there's certain executive agencies that are funded by Congress and they've created these judges within the uh, what's called the Executive Office for Immigration Review uh, within the Department of Justice. Okay, but they're not art what's called Article Three mandated judges in terms of they're not uh, like federal judges in federal district court. Supreme court justices, uh, just generally
1: attorneys, uh, in my
0: experience, I haven't seen, or I don't know of one that's not an attorney and the vast, I don't want to say the vast majority, but a lot of them come from the ranks of ice prosecutors. And, and the reason for that is because, um, if you can actually believe it, it used to be more unjust. <laughs> the, uh, prior to nine 11 and the creation of the department of Homeland security, the whole enforcement, uh, and you know, benefit side of immigration was all contained under the Immigration Naturalization Service. So you had INS. Uh, the uh, they were prosecuting, acting as immigration judges. They were all part of the same agency. So the natural progression for a lot of the uh, attorneys enforcing immigration laws was to become a uh, an. A judge uh, under the under the old system, and they all came from the same agency. A lot of them now will transition over from being Department of Homeland Security employees, uh, ICE prosecutors, to being Department of Justice employees. So you, you do have a little bit of a separation, but when the vast majority, are, or when a large number of them, come from the ranks of prosecutors, they're coming into it with a, I mean, a predisposition to look at every case from th- through that lens, through the prosecutor's lens. And yeah. so
1: it, it's kind of inherently unfair from the get-go for people. And yet it would probably be more unfair if you did have a jury situation and that you look at, look at the cases that you hear about. It's the shooter that's an illegal immigrant, or it's this that's the illegal. It's the one that's caught doing. It. So the media over the years has painted such a bad picture of anyone that's undocumented or or is an illegal immigrant, which I don't. That's a oxymoron in my opinion. Yep. Um, but you know, it, so it would be painted against them. Well, you're undocumented, you must be bad and that's why yeah. you're in jail. That's why we're sending you to So, I, you know, it's it's again money, the media, money, media. And and we've got a Well, you know, I I'll I'll go with you on that. I think that – um
0: and some of my colleagues may disagree, you know, with this. Thing. I think probably a jury would be worse <laughs> simply because I don't know. Oh, I do too. I, I, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of cases where I would rather have somebody that's educated uh, deciding my my fate. And 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 the thing is, this is that the consequences for these, and this is what a lot of people don't get, is the consequences for civil violations of the immigration laws when you're in removal proceedings are criminal in nature. You are banished to another country. I mean and people may take issue with my term my word banishment but that's what it is you're saying hey you cannot be here we don't care if your family's here we don't care how long you've been here you cannot be here we will send you to another country I mean that's how criminal violations were essentially enforced in the history of the world I mean you had tribes in you know thousands of years you had tribes and, and the evolution of punish, societal punishment was you were banished from society so these are criminal in nature the consequences of this stuff and so Giving it to a jury, well, obviously some juries, you know, depending on their makeup, would be more favorable. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> hey, if you really want to get down to it, I mean, a jury of their peers would probably say, "Hey, you can stay." You don't but, have you don't have that in civil court today. Well, no, you don't. It's 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 all it's it's a crapshoot, and 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 you'd have all kind of budgetary stuff uh, come into you know affording people. Uh, You know the uh, immigration trial by jury and stuff like that, and it's just not a road you want to go go down. I mean, it's better to fix the system and stop putting so many people in removal proceedings, and you might uh, you might uh, have a better outcome. But you know, your question about the the judges, you know, it leads me to uh, this uh, this recent um, where where is my article here. This recent article uh, it was from yesterday, from the Washington Post, and your newspaper of record. <laughs> um, and obviously, I'm going to be skeptical of most stuff that's in the Washington Post, and I'll I'll give this uh, article its due in terms of what it's kind of exaggerating on, and 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 what it's uh, what it's not. And it's kind of got a tone. It's trying to be independent. I think it, I think it does lean a little bit more pro immigrant, but there's definitely a portion of the, uh, of the article here that is sympathetic to immigration judges. And, uh, because they're overworked and, uh, have to share law clerks and stuff like that. And let me just preface this by, uh, talking about what an immigration judge makes. So we can all be, uh, can all be, uh, Sympathetic together, you know, because I love the uh, I love the people that al- always want to talk about, uh, you know, athletes make too much money, and you know, it doesn't matter how hard their job is, doesn't matter this, doesn't matter that, they get a ton of money. Well, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about immigration judges and the money they're getting for this supposed hard job they're doing, and they, their job is really only as I'll explain when I review the article, their job is really only as hard as they want to make it. Um, my uh, numbers for this comes from a vacancy announcement uh, for a position at the Tacoma Washington Immigration Court, OK? And and, and pay across the judges is going to be pretty standardized because you know they're federal employees. But the salary information, this is directly from the post, from the federal government, OK? Current salary and years of experience will determine the appropriate salary level. The possible salary range is... 132,000 to 165,000. Kind of on the high end there. I think most people would be willing to take a job where uh, you get some good vacation, you're a federal employee, you get some great benefits, get that vacay. I mean, that ain't chump change, folks. So they're they're getting paid pretty well. Okay, now so just have that in the background. We start talking about this. Uh, we go through this article. Basically, this reporter went to a uh, what appears to be a master calendar hearing at an immigration court in Arlington, Arlington, Virginia, and he, he's got some interesting things here. Uh, you know, he ca- he ca- the the name of the the uh, the article is "In a Crowded Immigration Court, Seven Minutes to Decide a Family's Future." Well, at a master hearing, yeah, uh, most cases aren't necessarily well. I say a lot of cases aren't adjudicated at the master hearing. I mean, it's more just kind of like a status calendar. But yeah, judges do have very, uh, very limited time in which to make very critical decisions, and because they are so loath to increase their docket load, they want to dispose of as many cases as quickly as possible. I mean, that's, that's, that's what they're paid to do. You know, their 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 formal title is actually adjudicator. Um, they just call themselves judges. Uh, so. Th- you know they they're free to do whatever they want but their their most uh you know their overarching goal is to keep their employment and keep their bosses happy and and you know huge backlogs uh there is a huge backlog and it would probably be even worse if you didn't have some judges that actually use their authority and and have a conscience uh you know so but basically uh this article talks about how the the immig- the undocumented immigrant population is skyrocketing causing a uh a uh you know severe strain on the immigration court, how immigration judges right now are forced to share clerks and have so little time to determine you know what things are uh, what things are can be categorized properly as violations of the law which render people ineligible to continue on in proceedings and and as I said they they want to dispose of these cases as quickly as possible when in reality uh, if and and, and and judges – these immigration judges, adjudicators are constrained by the law and I think most of them, for the most part, do a good job of are, – are, let me just – I don't want to say do a good job – are well-intentioned. Okay? Uh, some of them I would like to see use the power that they actually have to, uh, to decide how things are going to go. They have the authority, whether they have the political or moral will – to to do so, they have the authority to to prioritize uh, their docket. They have the authority to unilaterally administratively close certain people's proceedings, and uh, this is based on my experience. A large number of people that are in removal proceedings who are not eligible for any relief, who would ultimately be ordered deported under the law, uh, would gladly accept administrative closure. Now, administrative closure will get get a case off the court's docket. It's not on its active docket. And you know whether or not the Department of Homeland Security and ICE would would you know oppose these and appeal it you know they probably would initially, but I think that you could could withstand that. So these judges say you know talk about how overworked they are. Hey, you guys have the authority to unilaterally administratively close these cases, get them off your docket, and people aren't going to come. Well, <laughs> at least the uh, people whose proceedings are closing are uh, are not going to complain. Okay. So that, you know, that's kind of strike one. Like, don't talk, you know, don't, don't act like your job is so hard and, and, uh, and it's just a toll on you when you could get prior to half your caseload overnight. And then let, let ICE, uh, uh, you know, let them appeal your decision or whatever. And I'm sure that, you know, most, uh, of the private defense, immigration defense bar would gladly take on those, uh, those appeals on a pro bono basis simply because, uh, we would love to establish that you know make you know reestablish cuz i think that precedent's already established reestablish the precedent that immigration judges have the ability to prioritize their docket and when people who are not high priorities for removal uh you know have their proceedings administratively closed to get to the stuff that they really need to focus on uh i I think that they should do that you know and and until until something drastic like that happens uh you know i'm not going to have any sympathy for for the overworked immigration judges i highly doubt any of them are working you know more than probably working a little less than what you know uh uh, a lot less than what a private uh, private bar attorney does. Probably probably commensurate with what prosecutors work. You know, maybe fifty hours a week, maybe. But when you consider the amount of money they're getting paid, I mean, that's uh, that's decent cash. Okay, so you have. Uh, y- 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 this this uh this tension between uh e- between people who really want their uh their case to be heard and and people who would benefit from more time and 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 uh, the judges whose dockets are full and and I, unfortunately i just i don't have any sympathy for uh for the judges in this situation because they control uh they control their docket and it's just uh it's just crazy that that they won't you know have a backbone and and you know Close a lot of these things and 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 solve the problem on their own. The answer is not more immigration judges. The answer is to stop putting so many people in removal proceedings and and close the proceedings of those people who who really shouldn't be there. You know who it's who they're not high priorities for removal. Um, let's take a quick break and on the uh, last segment we'll come back in and uh, talk about talk a little bit more uh, about the bed mandate.
2: Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el Internet. www.immigration.net.
3: This is Michael Gannot with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
2: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with E-Verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866 286 6200. That's 866 286 6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
3: You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to the Immigration Hours. Your co host, Rocky Rockliffe. Uh Chuck's out today speaking at. Uh, Kennesaw State drumming up support for uh, for immigration reform because it is going to happen folks it's coming. I was really confident last year didn't happen I uh, still remain really confident that's going to happen but uh, before we hit the break uh, the last time we were talking a little bit about you know the uh, what immigration judges make and how I have a, a complete lack of sympathy for them because uh, they could actually do a lot to uh, help their their they're overworked dockets. They're full dockets. Um, and the fact that they don't, you know, leads me to believe that, you know, they, uh, they just, they don't, they don't, what it comes down to is they don't have the spine to, one of two things. They either don't have the spine to do it or they really think that, that, that their personal prejudice is coming to play and they want to deport as many people as they possibly can. And and there's, uh, most most judges will fall somewhere in the middle. But I mean, that's unfortunately what it is, you know, both bad. You want to deport people or you don't have the spine to, uh, to uh, you know, exercise your power and uh, you know take a stand that may not be popular with your, with your employer, but is definitely allowed for under the law. Okay, uh, but we kind of digress from what we were talking about earlier in terms of the uh, detention bed mandate, which, uh, as we were explaining earlier, uh, Congress through an appropriations bill has mandated that ICE maintain a certain number of people. <laughs> In detention at all times, and that number has arbitrarily been set at thirty four thousand. Uh, it. I mean, what else can you say, folks? 30, hey, we need to make sure we're detaining thirty four thousand people uh, every day. You know, I just want to say it with you know the German accent. You know, it sounds like some crazies that would have come out of you know nineteen thirties Germany. Uh we shall detain thirty four thousand a day. I mean, come on, that's that's absurd. Well, I mean, why isn't it not? I mean. My question: is, Why is it not seventy thousand, or a hundred thousand, or you know, eleven million the numbers—the supposed number of undocumented aliens in this country? I mean, why is it not that? Why is it thirty-four thousand? You know, it's just—it's crazy how they set this. So, it's—we've determined that, in our vast experience and our Congressional Research Service, whatever it is, their staffers, that thirty-four thousand people a night need to be de- de- need to be detained. I mean it's just absurd. Um but uh, there's a there's a there was a really good article uh I read it last year and I actually pre- it, well, last year a couple months ago. Uh, it's from uh September of last year, September 24th, 2013 to be exact. It's from Bloomberg, which Bloomberg actually you know it's got some pretty good decent independent analysis. It's not the best out there, but uh it kind it talks about the uh, detention bed mandate uh in you know a lot of in in you know, from a lot of perspectives. You know, the perspective of uh, you know the industry, the, the private prison industry that benefits from it, uh, local jobs, the, the political angle, and then you know it, it starts starts out by talking uh, by briefly mentioning the case of an individual named Noemi Romero who uh, came illegal to the U.S. at age three to use her name because it's in the uh, – it's actually in the article. It's on the internet. I'm actually going to blog about this later today, so you can probably I'll, – I'll put a hyperlink in there on the uh, blog on musings on immigration. Uh, it's at our uh, company website, immigration.net. You can find it there as well. But she was uh, – she came to the US illegally at age three, and she was arrested in January 2013 for working at a Phoenix grocery store where she used someone else's name to get the job. Now, I got her all – I know some of the listeners out there are like, oh my gosh, it she did something wrong. Well, you know, there's 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 two there, there's there's a concept in uh, in in the legal world. I mean, it's, it's ancient of of, of things. Uh, two things: one, the things actions uh, are either malum in se or malum prohibitum, meaning that something is wrong or bad because it is prohibited. Uh, and something as distinguished from an action that is wrong or bad simply because it is wrong or bad. I think that when explained in a different way that murder is something that would be – murder, homicide, whatever you want to call it, is something that would – is categorized as se, meaning that it is wrong because it is bad. It's, it's, it's wrong. Um, and people just inherently understand that, whereas um, things like uh, using – somebody else's name to get a job to circumvent the immigration laws that are preventing you from supporting your family, uh most people would recognize that as something that's mal and prohibitive. It's wrong because it's it's been prohibited. You're not allowed to work by uh the Department of Homeland Security and so you circumvent uh circumvent that, find a way around it. Yes, you've obviously Committed a violation of the law, but it's not. It shouldn't be characterized as something that's 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 malum and say. And I know there's a lot of people out there that that don't get that distinction that want to categorize. Oh, anything the state says is wrong, and you do it. Hey, pay the consequences. But you know, have you ever really put yourself in the situation where uh, you're here? You came at age three. You're now in your twenties. You may have a kid. You might be married to somebody else who's in the same legal situation as you. Your options? What? You're going to go back to your your home country? You home country. This is your home country. And you obviously got to find a way to support yourself. So you got to get a job. And due to the draconian e-verify system, uh, you have to – sometimes you got to lie. Sometimes you got to give a false name because – employers are not in the business of being fined by ice for everify uh for violations on i9s and things like that so they they're not really investigating people they'll take it at face value somebody gives you a legit social name and you're willing to compensate them for the work you're they're, they're doing people are going to do it you know and it's it there's nothing there's nothing morally wrong about that okay the, the 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 wrongfulness comes from the fact that it's it's prohibited by law and and the prohibition is what's the is what's criminal not the not the actual action there um so anyways i kind of digress there a little bit but uh you know she was detained and sent to a detention center in Eloy, arizona uh because because of that she's she's not a violent criminal she she is a criminal but, you know that ice character uh characterizes her as a criminal I, I don't know if she was considered an aggravated felon or not i don't know uh you know the uh the the specifics of the conviction or whether it was one or not, but ICE, you know, considers her criminal. It has to do these private prison groups and sent her a detention center in Arizona for months. I mean, that is insane. We're detaining people like that. I mean, where is the outrage here? I mean, you see protests here and there, but I mean, the the, the reason there's no outrage is it doesn't affect enough people yet, which is which is sad that uh, these communities are. So, it's it's a sad commentary on the nature of our society that the only Reaction comes from insular portions of our society because they're forced to be insular. Uh, undocumented immigrants are uh, forced to live under a rock because they can't integrate into the system. So only their portion of society is being affected. And hey, unfortu- uh, fortunately, it's uh, going to become more widespread. The more of these people that have U.S. citizen children and and you know get the, get that foothold here and stuff, uh, you know the more and more it will affect the demographics pop of our population are changing and and the more and more uh this will affect our society more and more and hopefully leading to greater levels of outrage because this is just absurd um so anyways the the article goes on to talk about uh the uh man, what's got a section here called entitled mandate reminder <laughs> And this 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 is so funny, and you know, for any of the lawyers out there listening, they'll they'll catch some of the uh, some of the humor in this. You had a Texas Republican, Michael McCall, the Homeland Security Chairman in the House of Representatives, at at some sort of congressional testimony last February, told ICE officials that told John Morton, who actually later resigned for releasing too many people, told him that. Uh, ICE was a clear violation of the statute when the det- detainee population fell below uh, or fell to 30, 000, rough, a little over 30,000 um, after uh, a mass kind of release of 2,200 people that was – they were released to save money. Obviously, they were, I mean I don't think ICE is releasing violent criminals or anything. They probably just said, hey, screw this. We're, we're going to release 2,200 people because it's just dumb to detain these people. So he said – but the funny thing about that is that the representative – this Cat from where? Where is he from? Uh, Texas <laughs> says they're in clear violation of statute. Well, buddy, you clearly don't understand uh, statutory schemes and administrative schemes because the detention bed mandate guy is uh, not statutory. It's not codified anywhere in the Immigration Nationality Act. It's in an appropriations bill. I mean, so get your you know, get your facts straight, guy, before you just start spouting off at the mouth. I mean, just you know, put a sign on your desk that says "Bought and paid for by CCA." Come on. Um, so I just I, I thought that was funny. Um, <clears throat> the next, uh, what what does it go? Oh, this is uh, Janet Napolitano when she was still DHS secretary uh, called the mandate artificial. Uh, And you know, criticized it, and uh, there was actually a move within Congress to get to get rid of that language in the appropriations bill, uh, known as the detention bed mandate. But it failed along party lines. Shocker. Um, You know, the the statement from Napolitano: "We ought to be detaining uh, according to our priorities, according to public safety threats, level of offense, and the like, not an arbitrary bed number." Hey, I disagree with Janet on a lot of things but that's not one of them. Okay? That's absolutely what they should be doing. You shouldn't say, hey, we need to detain this many people at night. Every day we need to detain this many people or have this many people in detention. Let's craft our enforcement strategy and priorities by how we can accomplish this. When So clearly your goal is to just detain 34,000 people, maintain a, a detention population of 34,000 people. It's not determined by – who you should be detaining i mean it's just it's crazy um and the fact that i mean this this would be uh you know i would love for john stewart to get a hold of the detention bed mandate and criticize the hell out of it because it would be really funny uh you know i can't do it justice with you know my examples that they're just uh you know i'm not a comedian and uh it would be really great if he could get a hold of this and just uh you know kind of tear it to shreds uh but you know before we uh before we wrap up here um the uh, I wanted I wanted to go over really fast some of these uh, some of these guys uh, that that are uh, really involved in this stuff and uh, one of the, a quote from one of these uh, representatives in some congressional testimony that with with uh, ICE director Morton last year uh, he was complaining about not getting enough inmates <laughs> to fill detention beds in his district I mean where I mean the the I mean that the these guys are just so brash. I mean, his quote is, why not take advantage, more advantage of facilities like this in his in his county and particularly in Pike County who built a whole new facility just to house these individuals. I mean it's crazy. Um, I could go on all day about this, folks. But uh, you know, read my blog later about it. Uh, check it out. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Immigration Hour.